Well, thank you so much, Reiko, for joining me today. Excited to, to chat about your career journey a little bit and also get into to the fund that was just sort of closed. And then, you know, what are you thinking about? Where are you thinking about deploying, you know, all this capital for, for potential impact around the world? So before we get into all that, let's let's quickly just go over your career path and, and how do you even get started in impact investing? Brent, thank you for taking the interest to talk about the work that we do here at Naveen on the Global Impact Platform. Starting with my career journey, like most folks who are now in the impact private equity space, it hasn't been a conventional journey because there was no conventional path to impact right. investing. <laughs> um, I, um, I grew up in India and spent um, over half of my um, life there and moved here to the U.S. for college and, and right from Bombay to New Haven, Connecticut to Yale to study economics. And I think my my path to impact investing really cannot be separated from the, the first half of my life I, I spent in, in Mumbai and having traveled around India to seeing um, kind of the, the, the very clear growth angst uh, of an emerging market that was, you know, working really fast to, to emerge. Um, uh, industrialized and progressed, but had a population that was fast growing, now over a billion people that had to be thought up in this growth and progression in a different way. Um, and seeing that a lot of people were being left behind just because the, the conventional world that, that was being built around them wasn't necessarily serving them in the same way. Right, so right. that was certainly integral to my um, experience um, and kind of what I saw uh, as a young adult. And then studying economics at Yale, exposed to much more of a broad view around economics, both macro and micro, understanding uh, the history of the world in a more serious way. And uh, and then learning about financial markets really experientially through internships um, at investment banks um, and asset management. Uh, but my aha moment, which eventually led me to investment banking was um, as a senior at Yale, I took a class on development economics where I learned about global financial aid. I learned about um, Bretton Woods and uh, kind of the, the, the movement of money transfer through, through global aid into some of these uh, what people call emerging markets, but I would call global growth markets. And also learning about, very importantly, uh, the concept of microfinance, which started as a nonprofit model to serve low-income groups of women, and then uh, really scaled into a for-profit commercial right. um, practice. And that really inspired me. I read this book, Price of a Dream by David Bornstein, and it kind of set in me this kind of desire to be part of where capital um, social change um, increasingly was learning about the pressing need for environmental change and the need for capital there, but then couldn't find a way to, to actually do anything uh, with those desires. So went into investment banking, as one does, um, and, <laughs> and learned more uh, about traditional financial markets and capital markets. I made my way into investing for endowments and foundations, and then um, went to business school uh, part-time at night um, at Stern, went through the CFA designation. Um, and while I was at Stern, I had the opportunity to actually go back to India and work on a sabbatical with a microfinance institution that was looking to serve not just groups of women, but also smallholder farmers and was really struggling to, to make that happen because of how you lend and serve farmers is so different given crop cycles and um, the, the, the differences in their business model. And so left very inspired wanting to build a career. And at that point um, in social investing, impact investing hadn't been coined yet and, and was very lucky to find my way to Nuveen. And then the rest is a bit of a history for the past 10 years I've been building out our impact private equity 
equity intentional practice, having deployed a little over a billion dollars for um, climate change mitigation and uh, inclusive growth. There's so much there, really, really fascinating journey. I, I kind of want to talk about a little bit of a simple question. How do you, I guess, define personally, or how do you look at impact investing? And, and maybe, you know, it's such a kind of a new term, right? But it's every company has an impact, right? Every investment has an impact, whether negative or positive, right? There's there's an impact sort of in everything. So like, how do you look at impact investing? And how do you look at it as a catalyst for the things you want to see, you know, change or, or get better? Like, how do you look, how do you define it? Is it something that can be can be defined or is it just, it's always kind of moving? That's a good question. So you are right. Every investment has impacts. In fact, everything we do has an impact. Question is, is, is it positive? Is it negative? Is it neutral? And for one, I think all impact investing should certainly strive to have a positive impact and have a little to no negative impact at all as externalities. And I think the most important part of what defines the impact investing community or should is intentionality and additionality. And by that, I mean intentionally looking to have an impact, not having an impact through happenstance. We all invest in companies through our private portfolios, you know, public portfolios where some of these companies have tremendous impact just because of the customers they serve, right. the people right. they employ, but that is not intentional impact. That is the company has to be having those impacts as part of their normal business course. When I think of intentional impact is defining a problem, however large or however small, and looking to find companies that are creating solutions to those problems and backing those companies with purpose, helping not just provide them capital, but helping them provide them whatever they need, whether it is strategy, access to new customers scale, and in doing so are being intentional, being additional in that giving them something that normally they wouldn't have had access to, albeit that that is changing as more and more traditional investors um, enter the impact investing market. And then I think measurement as an end outcome of it. And measurement not to say that the measurement itself proves the impact, but the discipline of measurement allows us to examine impact in a continuing way, learn from what we think would have happened if we put money in a company versus what happened, take those observations and help that to drive behavior over time. So with that kind of overarching perspective on, on an intentional impact investing practice, at Nuveen, we focus on two broad themes, which then translate into narrow investment ideas. The first broad theme um, we define as inclusive growth. So we are, first of all, a global investment strategy that invests in markets um, that are high growth um, and sectors that are high growth globally, uh, with a bias towards U.S. and certain leading emerging markets. We, we talk about inclusive growth broadly as investments that serve the emerging customer with access to basic products and services, essential services that you and I consume on a daily basis, access to finance, access to education, healthcare. With the uh, majority of investments we have made there being in the financial services sector, where we're bringing purpose-driven instruments and products to these customers, uh, whether it's the design of the product that's different, whether it's a customer acquisition strategy, the format, and the terms, the pricing that is differentiated, but still scalable because if it's not a unique and um, attractive product, these customers who are real customers uh, will not 
uh, expend a share of their wallet uh, to, to, to use that service. So that's broadly inclusive growth. And then the second thematic area we focus on is resource efficiency. And we define that as backing companies who are looking at this issue of climate change as one that has to be served from a disruption as well as um, service standpoint. We know that there are large value chains that exist today and operate today. Things like real estate, agriculture, timber, transportation, manufacturing, all of which need to become cleaner, greener, mm-hmm. and produce less waste. And so typically, the types of companies that we back um, look to uh, serve those large value chains to help them in that transition. And so we are backing companies not just because we think that these value chains will become um, will have to become cleaner or greener, but also because at Naveen, we are participants in those value chains. Naveen is probably one of the largest owner of real assets in the world institutionally. And so we see our colleagues needing to adopt these types of services and, and, and products to help them in the day-to-day business. So we, we love backing companies that can help that transition um, in, a, in a quicker and more uh, straight line way. Before we get into a little bit of the, the, the capital that has been deployed already and, and the new fund that, that has just closed, I want to go back real quick to one thing you mentioned earlier earlier around microfinance and around sort of using nonprofit as a way, nonprofit entity, right, as a way to try to integrate impact into societies where where it hasn't sort of reached quite yet. Like you said, finance, healthcare, education. How do you look at impact investing as, is that sort of a baton passing of of nonprofits can go this far and now impact investing can sort of take the baton and kind of scale these microfinance ideas? Is Is that how you look at it? Or do you look at it completely different where you know, nonprofits are always going to have, you know, a significant role in sort of the foundational things, trying to figure out stuff and then business with an impact mindset can come in um, and then then scale those things. Like, you've kind of been on both sides of it. So just love to get your perspective yeah. on. You know, I, I, I think that nonprofits are irreplaceable. They are irreplaceable because of two reasons. One, either they back ideas or needs that um, are not commercial yet. And they are going into problem areas without having an objective to create a commercial solution, uh, but really to serve really with the objective of needing to serve a need from a from a customer standpoint, from an issue standpoint, from a crisis standpoint. And so that's how most nonprofits are born. And that makes them quite unique. Along the way, certain nonprofits, and I would say a minority of nonprofits, find themselves serving a problem area that can actually be um, served much more efficiently through a commercial orientation, right? And that's where uh, something like microfinance emerged from, right? Where you, you're serving a customer, you don't know how that customer will behave, but you know they need credit. But you watch the repayment behavior of that customer over time and you go, oh my goodness, their repayment rate is higher than a middle and high income customer. And right. these folks are bankable. And so then you think about how to serve the customer at scale and you're limited by grants, which are your, um, and donor funding, which are your primary tool. And so then you you discover that commercialization is the key to scale and actually impact that scale. And so you do that. You can take another issue, um, which may be, which may come from the same orientation, a nonprofit serving a part of the market, say a refugee crisis, you know, needing to provide assimilation yep. services to refugees. And we unfortunately are still in, in a world that's torn by war. And I don't think serving refugees um, has been proven yet. And listen, there are geniuses out there who could prove me wrong as something where you should come at it from a commercial mindset. This is the commercial mindset has to be a macro mindset. 
but you have to come to people with empathy and donor funding to be able to, to, to give them a, a, a footing in a new world that they are becoming a part of and establish them in society and then move on to help the newer refugees that come on. And so very different, right? So I don't think all nonprofit ideas can be for-profit and impact. And I actually believe that very few nonprofit ideas can be commercialized. Yeah. And so we are trying to find those that right. have, have proven that. And then frankly, you know, we come in not investing in them at the super early venture stage. And I know you've been inter interviewed friends of mine in the past who go in early stage. <laughs> yeah. we, we're not brave enough, candidly, right? <laughs> um, and the capital that we, we serve is not of that same risk appetite. But we, in fact, come in after they have validated that the Series A, B, C, these companies are growing, have unit economics, and then we come in um, as these companies become profitable and need massive amounts of capital to scale. And so we invest from 20 to $50 million of capital in these companies that have proven unit economics, have great management teams, and now need significantly more aligned capital to scale those ideas. Yeah, I always think that nonprofits do like the dirty work and the, the market research, you know, they're, they're kind of always doing it. And then, you know, there are some times where there is an advantage for, you know, some type of business idea, you know, or a founder or innovator to come in and say, hey, this could be, I've seen it a lot with uh, fashion brands, right? They're, they're kind of these mm -hmm. nonprofits that are in emerging markets and they're creating like beautiful, you know, home interior products or like fashion products. And they're, they're doing it as sort of a nonprofit. And then they realize, hi, wow, we built this like really incredible ethical supply chain. And we can like have everything here, right? Have, have our own warehouse and, and kind of go direct to consumer and, and turn that into a business. And I've seen that be successful. And that's really interesting to see a lot of these nonprofits kind of do the dirty work themselves. And then, you know, have a founder kind of, you know, think about ways to transition now, you know, yeah. after a decade of being a nonprofit take a, a graduate to sort of a next step and, and become sort of a, a business model is, is really fascinating and really cool. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about what's happening now um, and sort of the, the new fund that is sort of closed. And maybe if you want to talk a little bit about the, the capital has been distributed before, I think you said over a billion now, I guess, what does it, what does that look like when you sit down? Right. And I guess you say you kind of have companies that are already kind of in that stage where they're kind of ready to go. So I guess, how do you at, at that stage, right. When they're already sort of mature, Yep. Is it is it much more of I guess they're all impact when they come across your desk, right? At some point, or, or do you look at it where some are more they're doing some more impactful things than others, and, and do you weigh that a little bit more than than the business model? Like how, I guess how do you, from a strategy point of view, how do you how do you choose right how to deploy this yeah. capital? Because that's a big when you write a check like that, like that's going to impact a lot of people. It's yeah. going to impact a lot of local economies, you know, could impact the global economy in a lot of different ways, right? So I guess just talk about, you know, that thought process you and the team have when you're you're about to deploy that that capital. So so a couple of things um, that come first to mind is how does this in potential investment fit into our existing portfolio? As we're building a fund for sure, we um, we have a global growth fund um, that is looking to have impact across people and planet, and we are trying to assemble businesses that um, are complementary in that nature to provide our clients that diversified exposure um, to these great companies. We will probably invest in eight to 10 companies from this fund, right? And candidly have already identified six to seven of them and they're, you know, going to be invested fairly soon because the 
objective of finding these companies didn't start when we closed our fund. It's been going on for the past decade. So many of right. the companies that we've backed, um, we've come across as they have been earlier in their uh, journey, um, but we've been tracking and, and um, happy to, to, to look at them as they are raising more capital um, and, and, and meet the type of investor that, that we are uh, to join their cap table. And you're right, most of the companies that we back are inherently impactful. Uh, our, our strategy is not necessarily taking companies um, that are going about you know, business in a, in a normal way and then looking to have an impact and change their business model to pivot and have impact. Um, mm-hmm. These businesses exist because they have found a mm-hmm. large total addressable market um, that is underserved. And, and our selection criteria is how does that fit into our areas of inclusive growth and resource efficiency? So, so maybe I'll say, you know, give you an example of companies we've invested in the past and had um, you know, opportunity to, to already realize our investment process from through exit. The first company um, that comes to mind is a um, energy efficiency dynamic glass company, a company that we backed uh, in 2017, which essentially had created energy efficient glass that automatically uh, tends to cut out heat and glare. Uh, And by installing that type of glass in a modern building, you can hmm. tremendously reduce the carbon footprint and HVAC consumption of that building hmm. uh, because you are not um, essentially losing heat through cooling, right? Um, right. And, and, and heating. And so, um, and provides a thermal comfort um, to the occupant that's quite unique, completely eliminates the need for blinds because, um, huh. you know, you, uh, you you don't need to use those those structures to, 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 you know, cut out glare. But from a wellness standpoint, allows you to have impeccable views, right? You know, humans were not meant to live in bunkers. And so, um, you know, ideally we should be in all glass buildings, but glass traditionally is quite energy inefficient. So we came across this company that had perfected this, this product um, was in several owner occupied buildings in the, in the, in the West coast and um, had, had established the unit economics to scale this business. And, and we backed this company, not only because we, we believed in what they were trying to do, but their aspirations to scale nationwide and globally were very aligned to our own ability to understand where we real estate was going, uh, not just through our you know, Naveen portfolio, but also understand where modern building design was going, you know, what it would take uh, to meet sustainability standards for, for, um, for uh, real estate owners and, and the role this type of glass would play to, to reduce that carbon footprint. And so we backed this company with that thesis and, and happy to say today that glass is actually installed in our own office building on New York, in New York huh. on Third Avenue. And we were the first commercial building in New York that they got. Now they're all over Fifth and Third and all over the Eastern Seaboard. And, and they have scaled and they've, you know, they've gotten more funding and they are now a listed company and we've you know we have since received proceeds from our our investment original investment thesis but you know came in at a time where that company needed you know was at that that point where scaled capital was needed um, and also capital that could help them commercialize through introductions into the mainstream real estate sector so so that's one um do you have another example around maybe like finance and education can we hit on those two if you got one off the top of your head no pressure yeah i mean let me let me give you an example in uh let me give you an example in finance so and this is actually the first um fund that we uh the first company we invested in through our new fund Uh, we invested in a company called annapurna microfinance this is a classic kind of um, conversion story started off uh, over 10 years ago as a nonprofit in the northeast of india in a state called Odisha, and now is a scaled microfinance institution. Um, 
um, in the middle of COVID, we led um, a growth round in that company with $30 million of capital. Um, company wow. was profitable and was scaling and the use of proceeds um, were to continue to serve its customers in a scaled way. Um, with our capital, the company was able to not just continue its operation and serve its customers and become more efficient, but also raise another 60 million or so of capital on our terms um, from other institutions taking confidence in that Naveen had joined the cap table, right? And believed in this mm -hmm, growth story. Right. The use of proceeds for this company will not just be to do more of what it does, but also to help the company digitize um, its operations because, you know, it, there's, there's a tremendous OPEX efficiency you get from reducing the cost of operations and being more, honestly, being also uh, more green with respect to using less paper and, and digitally serving your customers sure. more. Um, but also um, the company is underway at taking projects to serve uh, the same customers um, around areas of solar finance, uh, rooftop solar energy efficiency loans, yeah. because this part of India, and actually not unlike other parts of the world, is facing more uh, and frequent and severe climate shocks through things like cyclones and hurricanes, right? And so um, the reducing customers' dependency on the grid and the, the infrequency and connectivity of the grid and allowing them to continue to run their businesses and households uh, with some reliance on renewables is something that is something the company is working on actively, including serving SMEs in that way. So, you know, there is a classic finance company that serves small groups of women in, in the classic microfinance, which is now also looking at a just climate um, transition theme as part of its um, investment story. This company is one that we, we truly believe in. We have a board seat on this on this company, and we're looking to, to scale its operations and together with them achieve both impact and, and financial returns for our, um, for our investees. Love it. Love it. What about healthcare? Yeah, actually, healthcare is a very interesting one where we can talk to you about a, a recent exit we had there. Um, so we backed a Malaysian diagnostics company that essentially think about um, Quest Diagnostics does here, right? Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. Systematize high quality, repeatable uh, diagnostics for everything from a kind of, uh, you know, blood sample for just checking your, um, you know, your health staff um, to, to, you know, things that today are very relevant, um, you know, like COVID and other types of viruses. Um, and so we backed this company few years ago that was associated with a large um, hospital chain in Malaysia that had developed a in-house diagnostics that they wanted to scale beyond just that hospital. And so we came in with another partner of ours um, who was a specialist in healthcare to back this company and um, prove out both that the company could serve um, constituents and healthcare groups outside of this hospital chain, but also um, do this profitably. Through COVID, this company um, continued to serve its customers, became one of the first in Malaysia to be a certified kind of you know, COVID-19 um, lab results company, in addition to all the various diagnostics that it did. And just re recently, last at the end of last year, uh, this company was bought up by a pan-Southeast Asia diagnostics uh, roll-up strategy, who was looking to, to buy very specialized assets in this space across Southeast Asia. Um, we made a very nice return. Um, the management team of the company stayed in place because obviously they are going to be part of something that's even more scaled. And, and so we came in at a time where, 
you know, it, it was a it was a commercially and profitably uh, oriented entity, but needed to prove out its thesis beyond just one hospital group. So um, that's a great success story. We have another um, investment um, that um, we have we have made in India in the super specialty gastrointestinal um, diagnostic space, which in addition to serving uh, both low income as well as middle income customers, also has a research lab, um, which is the first Asian um, lab that has tied up with the Mayo Clinic around pathology um, and, um, you know, cancer and other metastatic uh, pathology in, um, in Asia. You know, investment is doing really well for us. Um, and and we, we see healthcare as being one of those underserved markets where scaled approaches um, can, can, can really work in terms of um, providing quality um, solutions. Last, well, last question here, I promise, around, I've been talking to so many people lately around food whether it's agriculture or actually just the making of food with, with this fascinating cellular agriculture industry that is really fascinating to me. Um, and I know some you know, emerging markets are going to look much different than, than some, of the, some of the more mature markets. But I guess, what do you see around food and agriculture? Is like anything interesting happening in that space that you see that is, is really interesting and, and could be um, within, your, within your purview? Oh, absolutely. So, um... One, we see a lot of really interesting things in, in food and ag. I think certainly the, the move to um, alternative proteins as a kind of solution to feed the overall world and kind of the, the, the growing issues around food insecurity and, and health and awareness, um, that is something we're tracking closely. We haven't yet made an investment in that space, but, but very keen um, to find something that makes sense for our strategy at the growth stage. Um, we also um, are looking at um, you know, ag tech and ag technology very closely, yep. actively looking at um, ways to, to boost productivity uh, preserve food quality, reduce food waste. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised in the next six months or so if we pursue an investment or two um, actively in that space, um, which, which could have a global um, application. Um, we have um, also backed a company that is in the ag finance space. And I know this, this company was probably featured in one of your other po- podcasts, but it's someone at the agrofinance. We led uh, the company's last round in 2019, the Series D. Great, great company um, that, that serves uh, farmer producer organizations as well as agri-enterprises by providing working capital loans to, to groups of farmers um, at a time where they're very capital constrained. That company has scaled very nicely. So Super keen on food, um, not only because it's such an important part of kind of the uh, the overall impact ecosystem, but also because we know a few things about um, the, the issues in the food value chain and, and the kind of ways to unlock some productivity, given given that Naveen is a very large um, agriculture holder um, institutionally. Thank you so much. And I, I know you're, you're super busy. So thank you so much for, for taking the time. Really love to talk to, to people at different stages of not only building companies, but different stages of investing in companies, because it's, it's such a, a really interesting way to look at the world and look at how many different levels of, of impact there is and the potential of all these different levels across all these different sectors. It's really been fascinating. So thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, best of luck with uh, deciding on the next uh, deployment of, of capital in the new fund and uh, best of luck to you and the team for the next decade. Thank you so much, Grant. I really appreciate your interest and in, uh, in the work you're doing to kind of build awareness of this, of this practice across uh, stage and, uh, and perspective.